0: welcome to the redemption church podcast we are located in seattle washington as a church we want to be a community of faithfully present people with god self and others we hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are and thanks for joining us good morning and uh today we are kicking off Our Advent season. So the word Advent, uh, if you don't know the word Advent, is a a simple word just meaning coming or arrival, as we now celebrate the coming or arrival of the Lord Jesus. Today we have, and we're going to have on stage all... All through the Advent season is a is a painting by a guy named Scott Erickson. He goes by Scott the Painter online, and uh, I really like his artwork. Don't you like this one of uh, Mary and Eve? And so you can see right here we have you know Eve with the snake, the serpent, wrapped around her heel, and then Mary with the the baby Jesus highlighted there, crushing the serpent's head. It's like the whole gospel. I even like the apple here too. <laughs> I like the whole gospel basically comes through right right there. There's there's really not much more to be said than that. That that that, that that's it. That's it. Our Savior. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> this is why art is so great. It just it does everything that our words can't. And um Oh, yes. Okay, so feel free to just tune me out if you like at any time point and just, well, if the sermon stinks, there's that, the hope candle, and communion, and each other today. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to the gospel one way or another. And th- Yeah, all right. So today we're going through Mary's Magnificat, and I am so glad to be doing this uh, with you. In fact... I'd like to pray just once more and then, um, yeah, just enjoy this absolutely beautiful passage of scripture. Father, we are here by you and through you, for you, and because of you. We've gathered as your children, your sons and your daughters, because of the overwhelming grace that you've given us through your son, over the next few minutes together, would you help me? Would you guide my mind and my heart and my words? Help me to be faithfully present to you and to our people right now. Help me to faithfully proclaim your scripture. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move in us and shape us more into the image of Jesus today. And it is in his holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're beginning Advent. So if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter one, and we're gonna cover the first three verses of what's known as Mary's Magnificat. And so this is verses 46, 47, 48, and 49. Um, Mary's Magnificat, by the way, it's a, I'll, I'll kind of do like kind of a 30,000 foot flyover, and then kind of the Google Maps street view. And then we'll go into the living room of the text, okay? So something like that. So just to give you a visual. So first, 30,000 foot overview of Mary's Magnificat works like this. Um, Luke's gospel has four hymns in it in the first two chapters. Mary's Magnificat is one of those hymns. And this title, the Magnificat, all of them tend to go by their, their Latin titles, okay? So in the first century, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, and around the third century, the the New Testament was being translated by an early church father named Jerome, and so it's known as the Latin Vulgate, and this is what uh, those who attend uh, Catholic Mass who go to a Latin Mass, that's the the text of Scripture that they read from, and so those Latin titles to these hymns, uh, for whatever reason, were preserved in all Christian traditions, whether it's uh, like Protestant Christianity Catholics or Orthodox tend to use the, the Latin titles for these particular hymns in Luke's Gospel. Don't you like that trivia? Yes. All right. So, um, so Mary's Magnificat it, it just comes from um, Luke one forty six as it's translated in the Latin Magnificat anima me Dominum, meaning my soul magnifies the Lord. The other more popular. Uh, phrase that you hear throughout the Advent season comes from Luke chapter two, in which the angel says, Gloria in excelsis, which meaning which means glory to God in the highest. And I am not going to sing that for you. Okay, now a couple other things. Uh, Mary's song that we're gonna cover also echoes a few other places. So if you jot notes down and wanna look these other uh, passages up in scripture throughout uh, the Advent season and just compare Mary's song um to different places in the Old Testament. Here's a couple. One, Miriam in Exodus chapter 15, Miriam and Moses, they sing after the Exodus. They part, right? The Red Sea is parted. They get to the other side and they go into a song. It's worth comparing how Mary reflects in her humble place and salvation. Compare Miriam's song in Exodus 15. Also, Judges chapter 5, the prophetess, Deborah, compare her song to Mary's song. Another place to look uh, would be 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. This is Hannah. And this one in particular, if you really just start nerding out in Bible study, you could spend quite some time in that particular place. Because Hannah, also humble estate, barren, a child, arrives, right? The prophet. Okay. Samuel. And then uh, Asaph over in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 7 down to 36. Okay. So there's a few hymns in the Old Testament that reflects some of Mary's theology here now in Luke chapter 1. So there's a kind of a, just a short flyover. Uh, more like the Google Maps view. <laughs> um, to zoom in and look at the co-text and the context around what happens. Like when you read your Bible, if you just r- lift a, a verse out or lift a passage out and don't read it within the surrounding context, you end up going... I you end up in some weird places theologically, like seeing an igloo in the middle of the desert. It doesn't, it, you just don't. That's, that's how it works if you lift a verse out. So the surrounding context, the context, the neighborhood itself looks a lot like this. We have the, the birth of Jesus being foretold, but before you get to the birth of Jesus, you've got John the Baptist, right? So do you remember the story of John the Baptist, the baptizer, how he comes about onto the scene? His father's name is Zechariah. Zechariah belonged to a a tribe in Israel known as the Levites. They were on a yearly rotation in which they would be selected to go and serve in the temple doing various chores. Zechariah's chores where basically he was to burn incense. He goes into the temple. As he goes into the temple, lights incense. The angel of the Lord, Gabriel himself, appears, (laughs) tells John, hey, you and your wife, Elizabeth, though you're very old, well beyond the ability to have your own children, you're going to conceive. You're going to actually have your own biological child and his name's going to be John. Zechariah one, is overwhelmed with joy. And two, ask some questions. One, that's amazing news. And an honor-shame culture to come without marriage and a child was devastating. Look throughout your entire Old Testament. It was a place of shame and disgrace publicly. So, Zechariah gets news. You guys are gonna have a baby. And he's overwhelmed with joy. But he's also asked a question how's this going to work out? At that moment, in his doubting faithlessness, Gabriel (laughs) disciplines John. I don't know how it works exactly, but he takes away his ability to speak. (laughs) And so, he's, you're not going to talk until your son is born. It's like, wow, all right. I was just in here burning incense. I did, oh, all right. So, he goes outside tells motions everybody doesn't really tell anybody anything but he motions to everybody says here's what's happened i've seen a vision we're having a baby and everyone is amazed right then john the baptist is conceived and then we have uh mary this angel shows up about six months later and goes to mary and says to mary you're going to conceive a child And now they're related, by the way. Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. You're going to conceive and bear a child. Mary's going, well, I'm not married and I've not been with any man. Um, How does that work? The angel does not strike her and make her mute. (laughs) He explains, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and you're going to carry the very son of God in your womb. And you will deliver him into the world. Mary is blown away, and a few days later sets out on a journey and goes to Elizabeth. Tells Elizabeth, Hi, Elizabeth, I've got news. And when she walked in the room, Elizabeth, listen to the verse that just says right before it, it says uh, in verse 41. When Mary entered and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's our summary. All right, so that's kind of the street view. Now to go actually into the the house of the text itself. Mary's response is this hymn of praise called the Magnificat. Here's what Mary said, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. All right. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So, after getting the most disrupting news of her life, you're going to have a baby Mary's response is absolute surrender, total worship, and has gone to a place that's simply beyond anything that's what we would naturally do, right? Um, Case in point, um, when my life gets disrupted, I don't say things like, my soul magnifies the Lord and I, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I don't do that. all right. I just don't. If Postmates gives me an update saying your ramen is going to be 15 minutes late I'm going in my head. That means the soft-boiled egg is not gonna be soft-boiled anymore. And I'm upset and I'm like swearing at the universe or something. I, like, I go to bad places very quickly. I'm very impatient. I don't just respond with, oh, my plans are disrupted. My soul rejoices in God, my savior. This 13-year-old girl probably did not have plans on raising the son of God in her home, also giving birth out of wedlock in this honor-shame culture. Fairly disrupting plans, to say the least. This week, my, my plans were disrupted as well. Uh, I've, actually, I won't even go into it. It doesn't matter. But they were disrupted. And I let the Lord know that my back hurt. All right, that's all. All right, so. And I let the pastors know about that as well. <laughs> all right, so. Um, Mary goes into this place of absolute worship. And so the question becomes right away, my plans in life are disrupted. How does she respond with worship? How do you get there? What What do you do when life throws you something like, utterly disrupting, much less God interrupting your life and imposing his will, his timeline, his desires on you, how do you respond in worship? Well, the answer comes in the passage right before because Mary's response is unnatural to any of us. Unless we lift Mary up in a way to go, gosh, she just seems perfect. How do you respond like that? Well, here's how. Verse 30 in chapter one, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You see, the disrupted plan of her own life, which did not include raising the son of God in her home, was rooted in the fact that she grounded her identity in the favor or the grace of God that laid on her life. Does that make sense? That God came to her, sought her out, as her creator, he pursued her, not because she's sinless, not because she's got everything together, not because she was the most famous or the most whatever, this or that person. God sought her out as a lowly, humble, peasant girl out in the countryside and says, I have favor on your life. I choose you. And that's where Mary rooted her identity. So that she got the big story not just this she didn't like she didn't just get the attention of a of a president or a king or a very wealthy man in town she got the attention of almighty god what was she doing to get his attention Nothing is recorded that says, this is why God picked Mary. And nothing is recorded as to why this is why God picks Paul. And nothing is recorded as to why God picks Peter and God picks and Moses and Noah and David and all these people in the Bible. Why does God have anything to do with anybody at any point? Grace and grace alone, right? Why would God want me? Why would God want you? What did any of us bring to the table? Really? Really? It's like, well, I'm very intelligent. Compared to God? (laughs) Circle back. Like, well, maybe I look good or maybe it's this. or And the gospel doesn't work like that. Other religions work like that. You can barter with the gods and do the karma thing. But the gospel doesn't work like that at all. It's God sees you at your worst, at your lowest, at your most needy and most broken and most dependent and says, I want you. I want the real you, the whole you, not the Instagram you, not the highlight reel of your life you. I want you at your most needy, at your most dependent, at your most vulnerable, that's the thing I want most. So God goes to Mary and says, you're going to carry my son. And she responds because she understands that she is a recipient of the grace and the favor of almighty God. And she's done nothing to earn it. In fact, Brennan Manning says it this way. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am loved by God and I've done nothing to deserve it. That's awesome. That's who you are today. You're loved by God. Oh yeah. All right. So my soul magnifies, or uh, another way to say it, and my soul revels in the Lord. My soul is reveling in this place. This this soul, this psyche, this place within her that cannot be seen or touched this soul, this thing that makes her uniquely human, this sacred place within her has now become a sanctuary for worship. I love how Eugene Peterson in The Message put it. And if you don't like The Message Bible, well, that's too bad, because here's a great verse. Here's how he says it. He says, uh, Mary says, I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing on the song of my savior, God. God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. (laughs) That's just the best. Bursting with God news. Oh, I love that. So in her disruption, she remembers that she is favored by God and God's favor found itself being expressed in a hymn of praise. And she continues, my soul. And then she says, my spirit. Spirit Rejoices in God my Savior My spirit rejoices That spirit part of her That immaterial part of her That is different from soulishness Soulishness has to do with being human Has something to do with our ontology Has, has something to do with our, our way of being But my spirit rejoices Is this, this, this part of you That connects to God That's the part of her It's that vertical part component, I know this sounds very existential, it is, <laughs> it's, but that's how scripture reads right here, that her spirit is now rejoicing. I love that word rejoice. We say it all the time, especially at Christmas, don't we? And during the Advent season, that's a word you hear. My spirit rejoices in, in God, my savior. Can you remember the last time your spirit went to a place of just rejoicing in God. Do you know what that, do you remember that day? Maybe it was this week. Maybe it was like a year ago. Maybe it was before somebody, whatever. Maybe, maybe it was five years ago. Maybe you've been a Christian for like 20 years and you're like, gosh, I remember when I met Jesus. I remember when he found me. That's what she's doing. She's going back to that place and going, oh, my spirit just, it rejoices in God, my savior. Man, you can just feel the pressure lift when you read something like that, right? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And here's something that's very important as she's sharing it with Elizabeth, and we're now reading Mary's hymn of praise this morning. Mary needs a Savior. So she says, my God, my Savior. This is one of the reasons why we don't pray to Mary. We don't venerate Mary. Though many of our brothers and sisters around the world do. We don't worship Mary and we don't live our lives for the glory of Mary. We don't. We don't. Oh, she's blessed. All right. Scripture's abundantly clear. And all generations do rise up and call her blessed. She absolutely is. But Mary knows who she is in this world. She is not part of the Trinity. So if you want to jot down some scriptures to make it just clear for yourself later, maybe to read this week, if you want. Psalm 124, verse eight. Mary is not maker of heaven and earth. Genesis one twenty seven. Mary did not make humanity in her image. Mary is not the judge of humankind. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46. Mary is not the long-awaited Messiah. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Mary is not the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter one, verse 28. Mary is not seated at the right hand of God. Romans chapter eight, verse 34. Mary is not the head of the church. Colossians chapter one, verse 18. Mary needs a savior. You need a savior. Who's the savior? <laughs> it was the one that she's rejoicing over. It's the one Elizabeth is rejoicing over. It's even the one that the, the, the baby in Elizabeth's womb is already jumping up and down. And it even says about John the Baptist, here's one that no one can explain. is filled with the Holy Spirit within the womb. I don't have a single comment on that other than, oh my gosh, all right. Everyone's rejoicing over who? Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Savior. No one's mentioned him yet, but that's who we're here for. And that's why we still gather around him week in and week out and worship him as the Son of God. Our souls rejoice, our spirit takes delight in God our Savior. Mary is not the hope of the world, she was carrying the hope of the world within her. Oh, and now as Jesus takes up residence in your life through the person and the Holy Spirit, you are the light of the world and you carry the hope of the good news of the gospel everywhere you go. That when God looks on your neighbor, you can tell them with confidence, he does not hate you. He sees you, knows you, and loves you that's the truth of the gospel. There is hope in this long awaited Messiah that God made a promise to Adam and Eve in the garden and as the prophets whispered throughout 1400 years in Israel's history, finally the promise comes into fruition and the Son of God comes on the scene to crush the serpent once and for all and to save us from our own sin <laughs> that's so good this is why we call it good news gospel great joy alright and to fast forward to the end of John's gospel you've got to remember there's another place where Mary is mentioned you remember it's in I think it's John 19 who's present at the death of Jesus John the beloved and Mary Mary needed a savior. And she was present for the death of her own son. And in that moment, Jesus' wealth was in his relationships. And listen, Jesus, surrounded by a crowd of religious people, is the only one in prayer. Jesus is so wealthy, he can take the guy on the cross next to him to heaven And say, My blood can atone for your wrongdoing for all of time. Jesus is so wealthy on his cross. He still takes care. He says, Mary, behold your son. John, behold your mother. He's still taking care of his mom. (laughs) He's taking this man to heaven. He's in communion with God the Father. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. This is why we worship him. Wow. Mary needed a savior and she got one. You need a savior and you have one and you call his name Jesus. Isn't it good to be in the house of God today to celebrate Advent? There is something to celebrate in this world that goes beyond triviality, beyond holiday parties, but to get to the very center of why all this is going on and the very center and the point of this season is not eggnog and train rides, but to get to the very center of it and go, it's about the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me to make me the righteousness of God. Go go read Jeremiah 32, what Jeremiah says. He says, he calls God, he says, he's, he's Jehovah. This is a fun word, Jehovah Sikinu, meaning the Lord is my Righteousness. Oh, that's what you get in the gospel. You're made righteous before the throne of God. Yes, all right. We got through one verse, all right. Four, you're lucky we're not preaching the whole magnificat today, or it would be, I guess it would be Christmas by the time we get there. All right, four, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Look at this. This is exactly what the gospel does to everyone who understands what it is. It's not a goofy prosperity gospel. Look at this. In the gospel, the humble, the lowly, the down and out are brought way up. And in the gospel, those who have much lots of cash or influence or affluence or whatever, rightly understood, the gospel humbles and brings us on a level playing ground where now we see each other, not as class, not merely by ethnicity, though we celebrate our ethnic diversity, absolutely, but we're brought to a place where we see one another as image bearers of God and recipients of the grace of God. Children of God, filled with the Spirit of God. Isn't that beautiful? That's what's going on. He saw me in my humble state, way down here, and brought me way up. And then in the next passages, we see these places where those in power are brought to great humility. Man, this Jesus that's on his way is someone special. Yeah, all right. Then... Verse 49, we see this. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. (sighs) All right. He who is mighty, not the president, not your coach, not your boss, not your mom or dad. God, he who is mighty, all powerful, every star, all that stuff, right? He owns it all. He was mighty, spoke creation into being. Mighty creation. Mount Rainier was a syllable. (laughs) Mighty. He's done what? He's done great things for me. He's done something great for me. That's what Mary's rejoicing. He's done something great for me. He invited me in to play a part in his rescue plan for the world. That's what you get in the gospel too, an invitation. He's done something mighty in giving you his son and his spirit and his word and the opportunity to tell someone else the greatest story that's ever been told, that God loves bad guys and gives us new hearts. Yes, yes. Oh, if that doesn't just drive you to worship, I don't know what will, right? Right. Oh, you can't read the words of Mary without just being driven to worship. She sweeps you up into him. How, how does she do that? Through the spirit of God who inspired these words. Yeah. So she says, so my soul rejoices. My spirit rejoices. He who is mighty has done something great for me. When was the last time you remembered the thing that go back in your mind now and remember what has God done that's mighty? He's mighty and has done something great for you. What has he done for you? we have a lot to be grateful for. We have a lot to praise his name for and no, not all of life is perfect and yes, we all have problems and setbacks and disappointments and failure and heartache and, and grief. Yeah, you bet. But what's he done for you? We might not have 99 things that we want, but he has given us something in the gospel that's just, it just changes everything. He's done something great for me. Today, he's given you breath in your lungs. Your heart is still beating. Your mind is still computing. Some of us a little sharper than others, (laughs) but it's still working, right? He's given you a home. He's given you your food. He's given you your friends. Even the faith in your heart right now, even if it's a mustard seed, just the smallest bit of faith, that's a gift from him to you. He's done great things. And that's just this morning, much less the whole gospel, much less this. He's done great things for us. And holy is his name. Holy. This is one of those words in the Bible that is so just dense. It's so pungent. It's so powerful. Let this sink in. And then I'll invite Dan and Spencer back to lead us in worship in a moment. But listen, let this word sink in. If you grew up in an evangelical church, like I did, the word holy, especially, was usually confined to talks about sex and only about sex. Uh, In purity culture, is what it's popularly called today, holiness has to do with being pure and set apart that's kind of how i heard it growing up and those are that's that's true that's that's part of what holiness is but when the bible uses the word holy in reference to god it's saying it's not saying less than purity but it's certainly saying more that is The angels around the throne of God are not crying out, pure, pure, pure. Set apart, set apart, set apart. That's not entirely it. When you see the word holy show up in the Bible, it is as close to saying God's name back to himself as you can get. Because what is more glorious to God than just his own name? What do you say back to him? Other than his name, holy is our best attempt at that. It's saying, God, you are so, uh, the doctrine is called aseity, you are so from, from yourself. You're so beyond anything that we can actually get our minds around. You're so perfect in all of your attributes, in all of your ways, who you are by nature, by character. By your own being in the Trinity, God, you are, you're holy. That's what that word is capturing. And that's why we use it often in worship to say back to God, the highest form of praise that we can possibly give him. That's what Mary was doing in that passage there. He's done great things for me and holy is his name. Psalm 138 says, above all the earth, you have exalted your name and your word. It is so good to be with you this Advent season, church. I love you. I love getting to serve with you. Um, Dan, I'd like to invite you and Spencer to continue to lead us in a time of worship. Um, I'd like to invite our communion servers to take their places. Um, And if you would, go ahead and stand with me to your feet. As we take communion today, as we see the broken bread and poured wine, we remember God our Savior. And even as you take communion today, Say those verses. We're even having our kids memorize them in kids' ministry right now. The the first two verses from today. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Maybe today that would be somewhere where you what you could say back to God in prayer. If you don't know what else to say in prayer during communion, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. So if you're a Christian today, communion is for you. If you're growing as a disciple, and participating in ties and offering and giving, uh, this is a time you can do so. If you give online throughout the week, you can just put one of those little green cards in the offering plate and uh, that will symbolize your, your participation in, in giving. And then lastly, if you want someone to pray with today, if God is speaking to you through his spirit and through his word today, um, we have a prayer team available to pray with you out in the lobby. So I wanna pray for our time of communion and worship and then uh, we'll continue. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus and the gospel. God, we do rejoice alongside Mary. Thank you. Thank you for sending us your son, our savior. I need a savior. We need a savior. And we have one in you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Fill us now again with your spirit. We love you. We pray these things in your good name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.